And uh, please welcome to the stage my sermon prop for the day. So first of all, this is my beautiful wife, Sam, and this is our, this is our little girl, Kinsley Jane Weckenman. And she's the best, okay? And just so you know, I'm not one of those biased parents. How many hate biased parents? Okay, that's not me. I, uh, I'm a truth teller, and to prove it, um, she's terrible at coloring, okay? There you go. She colors me pictures in Red Rocks Kids. They're terrible, they're not even fridge worthy, I throw them away. So you, you can trust me, you can believe me when I say that this 21 pound, two foot five, strawberry blonde, blue eyed little girl is currently the cutest and sweetest thing on this planet. She, uh, she has hobbies, she sleeps 14 out of every 24 hours, she likes cheesy scrambled eggs, she sings Top Gun, she blows kisses, and um, maybe most important, <laughs> She loves to go upside down. Should we show them, Kins? Should we show them? Oh! Okay, follow me, follow me. We don't have much time. She's upside down, your right side up. To her, you're upside down, but the only reason is because she is upside down. Aren't you, cutie pie? So we call God's kingdom the upside down kingdom of God, but the only reason it seems that way is because we are the inverted ones, which means Jesus came to turn things right side up. Right side up, yay! Can you blow him? Can you blow him a kiss? Oh, you guys, make some noise for my little sermon prop. Kinsley, take all my credit cards for the rest of your life. I am doomed. Right side up. Say it this way, on an upside down world, as it is in a right side up heaven. So here's the deal, I just don't think that we have the clout to call God's kingdom upside down. Because I, I mean, I think that maybe a little egotistic and, and small minded because it assumes our way was here first and then here comes Jesus with his way. But the Bible in the very first verse would disagree with that. Here's Genesis 1.1 that says, in the beginning, God. In other words, in the very beginning was just God and not us. It was creator before the creation. It was the chef before the pancakes and we're the pancakes. Once upon a time, it was just God and his kingdom. Then he made us and we chose our way over his. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they made a decision to redefine for themselves what is right and what is wrong, chose their way over God's and in doing so, sin entered the world and it fractured the holy DNA of humanity and it turned everything upside down. Down, And this is the, the fallen world that we live in that is now defined by death and decay. None of those things are right side up or, or part of the kingdom of God. It's now defined by, by pride and, and stubbornness and sickness and, and, and sin and all the symptoms, if you will, of a separation between a, a holy God and a fallen people. This is a separation problem. Here's some scripture for you, Old Testament and new. Isaiah 59 two says, but your iniquities, the sin, a, a, a decision to pick our way over his has separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We see the same thing paralleled in Colossians 1.21 where Paul says, once you were 
alienated, separated, alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, it's my favorite book, it's not really. Go, dog, go, it's my favorite book, but this one, because I'm trying to sound smart today, it defines the concept of alienation as this, a distinct kind of psychological or social ill, namely one involving a problematic separation between a self and other that properly belong together. That is the human condition. I feel that, that something, something is off and it stems from our separation from the one that we belong with. That's why we feel this angst deep down. That's why despite our best effort, we can't quite find our completion in anything under the sun. And despite all of our education, we can't answer the unfulfillment question. And even accomplishments and, and um, like accomplishments and victories, they, they don't thrill our souls the same way that they used to. And nothing stays new, everything gets old. Um, even like there, there's this restlessness and low grade sort of gloom in the gut of it seems eight billion runner arounders who are searching desperately for, for something that is this eternal and, and forever and real version of love and life and belonging and connection in everything under the sun and are finding it nowhere. Even those we would say um, have, have gained the whole world still seem empty and even those that we would call insiders feel like outsiders in their souls at the end of the day. My question is why? The answer is a separation, alienation from the God that we belong with. For he is our completion and his kingdom is our home. Ephesians 2 would say, as for us, we were, we were as good as, as dead in our sin. As good as dead in our sin. The sin, by the way, that has created this chasm between a fallen people and a holy God because he, by definition, and praise the Lord, he is holy, but it means he cannot dwell in the presence of sin, not even for a split second. So now there's this separation, and this is where the games of religion come in that we've played since, the, since creation, really. And religion essentially says, let me earn and deserve my way back to this God that I'm separated from. If I can just do a little bit more good than bad, be a little gooder than maybe other people, as if God grades on a curve, well, then I will tilt the religious scales in my direction and in favor of heaven forever, and I will earn my salvation and deserve my way to heaven. But wait a second. Something seems impossible there, if you really think about it. I ask this question all the time to people, and it's, why are you so confident that you're going to heaven forever? And I used to answer sometimes, like this is the answer I get from a lot of people, including a lot of Christians, and I used to say the same thing, and I would say, oh, because I'm a good person. And my response to that will continue to be, compared to, to what, though? You're a good person. Um, I mean, I get you, yeah, you're a good person, for sure. But I'm talking about the holiness and righteousness and perfection of, of God that is required to be in his presence even for a split second. I, I said this at Easter, but I, I remember going, taking my, my dog Luna for walks back when she was a puppy, and she would see commercial jets fly over, and she would like jump to try to catch them. 
And I, I would just look at her and go, you really think you almost just got that? She really did. You really think by trying harder to be better and being a good person, you are getting anywhere close to the righteousness and holiness that, that we need to solve this separation issue. That's why Paul would say, no, we were as good as dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, everybody say, but God. It's the gospel in two words, that God is the great butter inner. And Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God is so rich in mercy he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins and separated from him, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, not by trying harder. Do you see why Jesus, why you need him so bad? Because he came to, to be what you're not and do what you could never do. It's interesting, it was a tree in a garden that flipped creation upside down and it was a savior on another tree on a mountain that turned everything right side up. Grace is how God flips death into life. Mercy is how he turns sin into salvation. So I don't know your story, but I know this one, and I know that God did not come to punish sin, or sinners. Excuse me, he didn't come to punish sinners, he came to punish sin. We are carriers of sin, though, which means something had to be done, and it was, to solve this problem. And God would crush his current son, Jesus, all the wrath and the punishment do all that sin, what was absorbed in him in one moment on that cross. God, God would crush his son, Jesus, so one day God could save his son, Doug. He would give Jesus what you deserved so he could give you what Jesus deserves. And it's scandalous, it's unthinkable, it's ridiculous, it's the opposite of religion. It is a story that no human being could think up and that's what makes it the greatest news that there is. And that means that Hebrews 10, 14 is now our new right side up reality and here it is. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever. So now this verse is kind of tough to get at first because it's saying two things. First of all, by one sacrifice, that's Jesus, he has made perfect forever right now those who are being made holy. So he makes you perfect forever now, trades positions with you right now forever. And that's called salvation. Those who are being made holy, exhibit A, in a process called sanctification. You are already and you are not yet at the very same time. So there's a person you currently are now in Christ Jesus and now you're simply learning to live like it's, like it's true. Through sanctification, he's making us holy. So holy just simply means to be set apart and different, to be other. God is, is other in every single way. It means to be right side up in an upside down world, holiness. So now, Isaiah in chapter six of Isaiah, and this I think is the part that just has just gotten me all week because he's about to experience the throne room of heaven and it's impossible for us to fully know that experience, but I've been praying, God, make that more real to us today, what your holiness feels like when we are in the presence of it. And this is, this is just messed with me and it's been my loving prayer towards you that it would mess with you a little bit today as well in the best way because Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. That's happening right now. 
Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. God doesn't call himself holy because he doesn't have to. Holy things don't ask for attention. He's got seraphim and a million angels to do that for him. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah, in response to the holiness and the presence of God, he cries out and says this, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So can I just remind you, this is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, one of the golden boys of the Old Testament. What do prophets do? They, they proclaim truth from their lips. They, they speak on behalf of God and yet even Isaiah, in the presence of such overwhelming holiness, is crying out and saying, mine are, are unclean. He's confessing, he's repenting. Did God ask him to do that? He didn't have to. His holiness was enough. Have you ever, if, all the parents in the room or babysitters, if you've ever put your kids to bed and then you, you came downstairs to the living room and you put on like let's say an R-rated movie. I've never done this. I've heard about it. I'm disgusted by it. <laughs> Only to have one of your kids get himself out of bed, walk downstairs and walk into the living room during an F-bomb or a violent murder scene. It's just me? Cool, guys, thank you. <laughs> yeah, right, it's just me, but okay. Um, it's an interesting feeling I was completely okay with all of this until innocence walked into the room. And in a, in a crazy way, it sort of exposes something I did not even realize was there until the presence of something so innocent sort of revealed to me what I did not see just a few moments earlier. In the presence of a God who is perfectly right side up, Isaiah is realizing how much of him is not, okay? He's saying, I am a, I'm a prophet of God, I'm a man of God, and yet there is so, my lips are unclean. There's so much, even about my motives that are just hidden, and I'm so good at hiding it. I've got these impure thoughts, I've got this secret sin, and in the presence of holiness, I feel it, I feel it. And notice he confesses his own stuff before he confesses the stuff of his people. I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. To bring this full circle with last week, could you imagine if the initial gut reaction and response of followers of Jesus in the immediate aftermath of a, of a scandal or an event or a news story before we posted or dialogued or critiqued was to go, God, search me? What's in, what's in me? right now, before we go, get the bad guys, God. God, search, oh, that would do wonders for the church's PR. God, search, make me holy. What's, what's in me I, I'm not seeing? Bring it to light, holiness. Make me holy like you. Now, holiness is a word that has a lot of religious baggage for a lot of people. I'm on a mission today to redeem it because if, if words like holiness or um, 
obedience, purity, repentance, carry religious baggage for you. Um, it does not mean they need to be neglected or forgotten. It means they need to be redeemed because they're for you. And so all week I was going, Satan, you don't get those words. I'm sorry. And you should feel that same kind of intensity about yourself. The devil doesn't get those words from you because those words are 100% and absolutely for you. They're for you. Why? Because God is good. God is for you and not against you. And the proof of it is in the cross in the story of the gospel we just talked about. Like, do you really think us pursuing holiness is for his sake? The God who right now has a million angels falling face down on the floor echoing his holiness. Like, you think he needs us? This is no obligation. This is an invitation. This is not a rule. This is a, this is a, a, a pure and appropriate and, and real response and reaction to the goodness and the initiating love of God. That he is, I can't help but just do this. He's not here to, to take from you. He's here to give to you. The more that you were made for, the deeper things your soul is looking for are waiting for you along the grace-fueled pursuit of holiness. It is impossible, I believe, to have religious baggage if you could just for one second see the countenance or facial expression of your heavenly father towards you. Because why? Hebrews 10, 14, he has already made perfect forever you, so he looks at you and he sees Jesus. That's why he, he accepts, that's why he because you are made perfect forever. So the proud, the proud facial expression, the smiling countenance of a, of a loving father who is inviting or beckoning you to, 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 to look less like the upside down world you live in and more like the kingdom of heaven that you were made for. He's saying, oh, just allow yourself now to come home. He doesn't need you, he wants you, which means none of us have to, we get to. My favorite quote ever, C.S. Lewis, we are half-hearted creatures living in a half-hearted world. By the way, that's where I got the, the backdrop for my sermon title, Holiness in a Half-Hearted World. We are half-hearted creatures in a half-hearted world, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when all the while infinite joy and life and vitality is being offered us in him. We all, to some degree, to some degree live with Adam and Eve syndrome, I'll call it, and if you think of Adam and Eve, I mean, their gig was not tough, you guys. In Eden, it's like a husband and wife, naked and unashamed in an all-inclusive paradise with the command to, to just have a lot of sex, okay? That's just Bible, I'm quoting it. I'm paraphrasing it, but it's in there, okay? And there's just trees that are just pleasing to the eye and there's fruit that's good and there's just one tree they're not allowed to eat from. This is not difficult, but I want you to feel, even in paradise, how easy it is to convince humans that God is holding out on them. And the reason you maybe figuratively speaking roll your eyes at this idea of holiness is not actually because your desires are too strong, but because they're too weak. And you don't know how good this God really is. Maybe you grew up in a church or a home where it was said to you that God doesn't want you to be happy, he wants you to be holy, so be holy. Um, as if those two things are not intimately intertwined. It's my favorite joke, but as if God's favorite song is, if you're happy and you know it, then repent! Be holy! A little too happy here. Holiness will fix that. 
enough tobacco spitting and horse racing. Go be holy and shine like a light to the world and everybody will want to know Jesus. In um, an ironic turn of events, the pursuit of short-term happiness is often what leads to pain and compromise. The pursuit of holiness that you think is boring or religious is what leads to everything you're looking for. Infinite joy, the purity of freedom, the fullness of completion are found in allowing and letting God make you holy from the inside out. It's the same way, it's like pursue your, if you follow just your dreams, oftentimes you will miss your dreams and Jesus. Follow Jesus, the one who knows the desires of your heart. I think what you'll find is you get all of it thrown in there. Pursue just happiness, you might miss out on happiness and God. Pursue Jesus, pursue holiness, I think you'll find the deeper things your heart is longing for get thrown in along the way. That not only is holiness the gift I already received from my salvation or for my salvation in heaven forever then and there one day, it is also holiness is the prize that I pursue from, not for it, from my salvation to tap into the deeper things of heaven here and now. To put it simply, holiness is where your soul comes home. So if you feel like your soul's homesick, every problem has a solution. Are you hungry? Here's food. Are you tired? Here's sleep. Something feel off in you? Here's holiness that is, is for you. And the grace that saved you is the same grace that will sustain you and set you free as you pursue it. So here's the million dollar question that every generation has asked for 2,000 years. If Jesus has already saved me, why do I need to pursue holiness? It's a fair question because he has. You know Jesus, you're made perfect forever. You couldn't lose that if you tried. If Jesus has already saved me, why do I need to pursue holiness? If you think you're the first to ask that question, dream again. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter six, we see Paul answer that to the culture of Corinth, which by the way, look at where the quotations are in this verse, okay? I have the right to do anything. So that's his culture, the upside down culture. Paul is quoting them. They're saying, I have the right to do anything. But Paul says, not everything though is beneficial. Back to the upside down culture. I have the right to do anything. And then back to Paul, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, and I, you, you play these games, I do too. Come on, grace, the grace of God is enough. Like, God is love, love is God. Like, it's cool. He's already saved me. I got this. Let me just. And what Paul is saying is, okay, but you don't fully understand the gospel or the holiness of God, or you, you still have Adam and Eve syndrome, and you think he's holding out on you, your desires are actually too weak and not strong enough. Because sin, every single time, will promise to give to you, and it will steal and kill and destroy. Always, always. Until I, I feel like even as a follower of Jesus, you can kind of chart on a graph, like I'm less whole every year with a few highs sprinkled in. In other words, because of Jesus, hear me, you are no longer punished for your sin. 100% because of Jesus, he did everything. You are no longer punished for your sin. You're just punished by your sin. So, I mean, we all feel that, we all know that, 
the, the shame, the, the consequences, this, the baggage is not God punishing you. He didn't have anything to do with that, as a matter of fact. That is sin doing what sin does. Punishing, promising life and freedom and fullness and, fun, and, and taking and robbing and stealing and destroying and killing every single time. It's like, a, it's like that sin that we feel is not, is not a big deal. Come on, grace is, grace is real and God is love. And so you, you kind of just keep this sin like it's a, a pet. I got it under control. But the Bible describes sin as a lion and eventually a lion will do what a lion does, which is steal and punish and kill and destroy, and I know that's heavy, but this is our reality. And when you can see the reality and, and kind of go, okay, this is, this is our situation, this is what's real in a fallen world, now I have something to stand on, truth and a way forward from here. And that's why God calling you to, to holiness is not about him robbing you from your fun like the cosmic killjoy in the sky he gets touted as all the time. I'm so just over that nonsense reputation that could not be farther from reality about God. He is so for you, has nothing to gain from taking a single thing from you. Your grace-fueled pursuit of holiness from the right standing you already have is about God leading you into the real and abundant version of life you're looking for. It's about him trying to, to give to you and protect you, and line you up with how he designed his creation to work. In other words, holiness, or this sermon even, is not about not sinning, this is about not settling. And that's why repentance, there's another baggage word. Maybe you heard beep when I said repentance, like that's a Christian cuss word. It also needs to be redeemed. Because it's not this judge with the gavel, Better do this. This is, this is an invitation. Haley told me that the Hebrew version of this, that the way Jesus understood it was allow yourself to come home to a right side up kingdom every single day, which is why repentance probably, it would be the greatest hobby any of us could pick up. Repentance, it comes from the Greek word metanoia. It means the transformative, I would even add the continual, change of heart, change of mind, the decision to turn from an upside down world that you live in and align with the right side up kingdom that you were made for. Contrary to popular belief, repentance is not you saying bye to the good stuff and saying hello to the God stuff. Tuck in your shirt, go to church, behave. God needs more of this. Like this is, repentance is realizing the God stuff is the good stuff, the deeper things that billionaires can't buy. C.S. Lewis, another quote, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Repent for the right side up kingdom that you were made for is here. And it's his kindness, by the way, that leads us into it. So I heard Jackie Hill Perry say, say this about a holy God. If God is holy, and he is, and praise the Lord, he is, then that means he can't sin. And if God can't sin, that means God can't sin against you. So if you're in this room and you have, you have like baggage or wounds and, and, and like welcome home if this is you, but you have that from um, a parent and maybe specifically a dad who was a horrible representation of the heavenly father, 
I'm talking to you right now. Do you have to get this? God is holy, which means he can't sin. And if he can't sin, that means he can't sin against you. It is impossible by definition for God to sin against you, which means not only can you bring all your stuff to him, but you should, because if he can't sin against you, doesn't that make him the most trustworthy being that there is ever? So that secret sin that's destroying you and eating you from the inside out, that that shameful memory that's robbing from you, that is exactly where Jesus wants to go if you let him. My challenge to you today, I'm imploring you, stop small talking with the creator of the universe and let him go there. Let him in, let him go straight there so that he can take you to that moment or that event or that mistake and say, this is something that happened to you, but it doesn't mean that something is you. Doesn't mean that, that what you did is not the same thing as who you are. God defines you by your savior, not your sin, and that might be your past, but with Jesus, does not have to be your future. Why? Because of Hebrews 10, 14, by one sacrifice he has already made perfect forever. Those who are now just being made holy. In other words, there's a person you already are. This is your identity. And repentance is, you could also say it's coming back to your identity. There's a person you already are in Christ Jesus. Repentance is simply just choosing today to live like I believe it's true. There's a kingdom, a right side up kingdom that is already here. Repentance is turning towards it and aligning with it and walking in it and coming home. And so I want to do this and team, you can come up. I wanna give you the opportunity, not obligation, opportunity um, to turn or to like Isaiah, confess, repent uh, as we sing about the holiness of God in worship. And I'm not gonna, Name sins and have people stand or raise your hands, okay? Um, and maybe you got baggage from that. Uh, I'm actually, I'm not trying to redeem that. I don't know how to, I'm so sorry. Um, this is for you and him. This is for you and him. And so maybe for you, that is a, that's like the, the secret sin thing. And you, you talked, to, you heard the metaphor about the lion and like, oh man, that is, I'm, I'm using God's grace as a cheap grace that I have, it's a get out of hell free card and, and I'm just, um, I'm, I'm, I got Adam and Eve syndrome and you are settling, I'm telling you. You are settling and I wanna invite you into the more that you're looking for. You know, First Corinthians would go on to say, um, like my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not mine, it's been purchased. And I just, I wanna make it hospitable, like I want, for the, for the presence of God as much as I can. Like innocence walking into the room, the holiness of God, and not con- condemnation that's gonna blame you for it, but conviction and this invitation to go, let's get that out of you, for you to say, God, search my heart. Whatever's unclean in me, cleanse me of it. Because how much, even stuff you didn't even realize, like Isaiah, I didn't even see this. When my son came down the stairs, I wasn't even aware of this until I was in the presence of something holy and innocent. And now it has less to do with how terrible I am and more to do with how awesome he is and how much more freedom I could be walking in right now. If I can confess and, and give this to him, God, get it out of me. Um, and, or maybe for you, what you need to repent from is the soul poisons like shame or bitterness or unforgiveness, um, anger, you know, it's, it's uh, 
the, the, your soul is your substance, but the body keeps score. And I wonder sometimes how much of our sickness and stress on the surface are simply symptoms of soul poisons, like bitterness and shame and unforgiveness. Uh, I'm not saying all, uh, I'm not a doctor, but I am a, a pastor who knows the way Jesus understood your soul your nefesh in Hebrew, all of you, mind, body, and spirit. He saw your body not as a prison in which you are trapped, but rather a temple that is part of who you are and what happens in your soul or your mind affects your body and vice versa. It's all deeply connected. And I just wonder sometimes, and, and probably because I, I watched um, depression leave my wife's body as soon as she repented from the unforgiveness that was in her soul. She released it and it was one of the most courageous things I've ever seen. And she is a, a new creation, a different person since that moment. It's crazy. I could tell you story after story just like that. And you know, back in, in, in college, I remember with my, my group, a few of us were battling pornography and trying to break free from it. And I was like, why can't I do this? And I keep repenting from the night before over and over and, and had a realization, a revelation, if you will, from God where he said, okay, repent from your lust last night. Absolutely. But I actually want you to start repenting from the shame that you're using to punish yourself with this morning and today and the rest of this week. Because you think that's noble, it's not. Because that's upside down. That is not part of the right side up kingdom of heaven. And once you release that, it's crazy. That was actually, that, that, was, that was the door to my journey to freedom. Freedom from shame is freedom from sin. It's crazy. So unforgiveness, I mean, the, the thing that person did to you was horrible on them and upside down. But your forgiveness is up, upside down too. I just need to tell you that I felt like I was supposed to. And it's like this poison you're, you're, you're drinking, hoping it's gonna affect them, and it is not in any way. It's just poisoning you and maybe showing up as symptoms in so many places in your life, and, and you need to repent from that. God is inviting you. He's saying, come home to the right side up kingdom that you were made for. This is a waste of your time, and I've got more for you. Turn towards the God stuff, which you'll find is actually the good stuff. Or maybe for you it's religion and you got saved and, and now you just are playing all the religious games still trying to keep yourself saved. Like it's Jesus plus this and I can help Jesus keep me in, in right standing and keep God happy with me. And, and God, you could not change how he feels about you if you tried. You can't get away from his salvation if you've already, if you've already put your faith in, in that very first repentance, you put your faith in Jesus for that first time, something happens and that, and he sustains that. The grace that saves you is the grace that will sustain you in that moment. And when you do that, you start to, it leads to self-righteousness if you're good at it, or it leads to shame if you're bad at it. So Adam and Eve, they, they ate the fruit and sin entered the world and their eyes were open to it and they go and they hide out of shame. And then God comes along and scripture says in, in Genesis three, he's walking through the garden in the cool of the evening and he's looking for Adam and Eve and, and this, is, this is what God says. He goes, Adam, where are you? Now, this is huge. If we're talking about holiness and religious baggage, I used to read that with the wrong tone. You can get the words of Jesus, but miss the tone and you miss the heart of, of God. That's why social media oftentimes is it, pointless with arguments about the kingdom of heaven because you don't have the tone. Um, and if you miss the tone, you miss his heart. I used to think that was God going, Adam, where are you? Are you kidding me? 
Like you call it, you're supposed to be a man of God. This is not that. This is not who I made you to be. Come out here. Like I really used to feel that. And that has since changed, I believe, to what his heart is in his right side up kingdom to match his tone, which would be, hey, Adam, buddy, where are you at? Because this, this is the time of day that we walk with each other in the garden, and I just really miss that. And I really miss you. And stop hiding, because I am what you're not, and can do what you can't. And so for those of you who are like, well, Jesus plus something, hey, either Jesus is enough or he's not. And if he's not, can I recommend so many other things you could be doing on a Sunday morning besides coming to a church to worship a God who's not as powerful as he claims to be? Jesus is enough or he's not. But if he is, his holiness is in this room and the Father in his heart is beckoning you and inviting you into come and, and let, your, let your, everything that's about you that's upside down, let it come and let it experience all of, all of my substance that is right side up to, to reveal things and expose things, not out of condemnation, but out of this sweet conviction and this, there's so much more freedom you could be walking in. This sin will destroy you, it will. You're not the one exception in the human experience. This is robbing from you. This will punish you. It's not me punishing you, it's, it's your patterns, it's your habits, it's your sin punishing you. I'm for you. Holiness is for you. Repentance is for you. Obedience is for you. I think the question it comes down to when it comes to holiness and obedience is how much joy and happiness and life do you really want? Because that'll be shown in your pursuit of holiness, your grace-fueled pursuit of holiness from the salvation that you already have, amen? Guys, it, it's hard to parent in an upside down world. So we made a children's book to go with this series. And uh, Ryan wrote it and it's genius. And Joy, our graphic designer, she uh, illustrated it and it's beautiful. This book is so good. And what we wanted to do was um, put Jesus on the bookshelves of bedrooms and, and almost have this also be an anthem maybe in our, our kids' lives, that man, every time you, you, you're kind to somebody who's mean to you, every time you look for that lonely kid at recess or you're brave or you, you talk to your friends about Jesus, you are, you're playing a part in turning an upside down world into a, the right side up kingdom. Like this is, you're in this. Like you, and, and to have that spoken over them when, when, they're, when there's like, their souls still haven't learned better from reality and sin hasn't, you know what I mean? And there's, I mean, uh, it's my prayer that this will bridge the gap between what happens in here on a Sunday morning and your dinner table conversations throughout the week. This will give you an easy way to bring stuff up and have your kids bring it up. And it's about this little boy, Benji, who wakes up in an upside down world and he slowly starts to learn that like Jesus, I can start turning things right. So he wakes up in an upside down world and slowly starts turning things right side up. And it's awesome. And parents, you're doing better than you think you are. And we wanna partner with you and help you uh, in as many ways as possible. So that book will be available next week. And there's no profit. I mean, if there's profits, it's all going to our partners anyways, okay? So come here, grab this book. And, um, and yeah, um, I was stumped all week. How the heck do I describe what Isaiah felt in that throne room? Um, our world is, is upside down. 
It's already, but not yet. The kingdom is here, but not yet in its entirety. One day it will be when Jesus comes back, but right now we are in that in-between where we belong to this kingdom that is in our presence, and yet the world I live in is upside down, and repentance is simply coming home to that kingdom and choosing to walk in the one that you were made for every single day. And we, we talk about revival a lot. We pray for it. Um, let me tell you how the order of revival, in case you don't know. It, uh, it doesn't happen from the fringes in. It happens from your heart out happens from my heart out. It happens when, and it's not free, it costs something. It costs what Isaiah experienced in the throne room of going, God, whatever that's in me that's upside down, search my heart and turn it right side up. Have revival happen in my soul. And then we'll watch revival happen in, in families and at dinner table conversations and then in groups and in our church and in our city. And before you know it, we will start to see an upside down nation slowly but surely turn right side up and look more and more like the kingdom of God, amen? All right, you guys, let's stand. And as we proclaim this truth about the throne room and seeing a million angels fall face down on the floor, all of them to echo, holy is the Lord. Um, my challenge to you is um, to let yourself experience it. One day we'll see in full, for now we only see us through like a dimly lit mirror, but, but Jesus, we can bow our heads, you guys. Jesus, would you help us just to expand that window even just a little bit this morning? Spirit, would your, would your holiness and innocence and rightness and goodness and right side upness be felt in so many ways and so strongly that it would re reveal to us sin and, and soul poisons and even subtle things that we did not even know were there and help us just to plead that you would just take them and cleanse us and get rid of it so we could step into the more we have for you. Would you let revival take place in the soul of every person singing this right now and praying this right now so that we can watch it reverberate out to our city and our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.